Good afternoon. I'm Dr. Tanya Roberson, Director of Community Engagement, Program Development, and Academic Support at Governor State University and the College of Health and Human Services, and your host for Governor State University's Southland Health and Wellness Hour. The Southland Health and Wellness Hour is not the traditional health and wellness podcast, nor is it intended to provide medical advice. This is a community-engaged podcast for residents of South Chicago and Chicago Southland, where individual and community stories and situations serve as a foundation for a discussion. This is where we can begin to address unanswered questions about health inequities and concerns, and where we might find possible solutions to these issues. This podcast brings together community members, leaders, and organizations alongside topic experts to address social trends, a variety of health and wellness topics, and to provide community resources to improve the lives of our listeners. The guest statements are their own and do not reflect the policies or opinions of Governor State University. Thank you for joining us. We have a great topic today, your health, why it is a number one priority, How can you be an advocate of your own health? I often hear people talk about how their health is important, and this is interpreted in a number of ways. To some, health means lifestyle, diet, and exercise, and to others, health means taking the medicine prescribed to them by their doctor and relying on frequent doctor's visits. But I seldom hear people talk about the changes they have made to ensure their health is priority across lifestyle and doctor's visits. And sometimes there are other issues that impact our choices. Our health is intricately tied to our self-efficacy and drive, where we live, learn, work, and play. It is shaped by our access to stable housing, quality schools, clean and safe open spaces, health care, and much more. We all know that making health a priority is important, but when life throws so many other important things at us, like work, family, friends, and busy schedules, and challenges such as COVID-19, it is hard to make healthy choices and maintain good habits. Today, we will talk about why our healthcare programs, how we take care of ourselves through lifestyle choices, and personal advocacy are important and how they greatly impact our health status. Our first guest is the Director of Nursing Research and Health Equity at Rush University Medical Center. She serves as a system-wide leader in supporting health equity as a shared goal across the Rush system. In 2011, she completed the Robert Wood Johnson Health Policy Fellowship working in the office of Senator John D. Rockefeller IV, where she analyzed complex data in support of implementing the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act and garnered support for prescription drug abuse legislation. Welcome, Dr. Janice Phillips. A conversation in 2002 between our second guest and two close friends led to the establishment of Peer Plus Education and Training Advocates. Peer Plus Education and Training Advocates, located in the heart of Bronzeville, is a community-based 
volunteer organization that identifies underserved populations in the Midwest and provides culturally sensitive programs that address the multifaceted issues of people in need of essential health, educational, and psychosocial services. She has also taken the time and energy to address the growing unmet needs of families seeking responsible and reliable home care services for family members with chronic medical conditions. Welcome, Mrs. Phyllis Rogers. Before we start, listeners, we want to invite you to leave comments and ask questions about how to advocate for your health during COVID-19. Visit the GSU podcast website where you will find a link to send us an email as well as useful community resources for the visually impaired and hard of hearing and in English and Spanish. The website address is in the podcast description. If you need the most up-to-date and reliable source for research on how to make better informed health choices during COVID-19, visit the Patient-Centered Outcomes Research Institute website. For the latest and reliable source for COVID-19 information, go to the Center for Disease Control website at cdc.gov. question is directed to Dr. Phillips. Dr. Phillips, you are currently working in the role of Director of Nursing Research and Health Equity at Rush University Medical Center. How does any decisions that you make in support of health equity and as a system-wide leader impact patients? Thank you for that question, Dr. Roberson. Uh, in my capacity, my job is to help to facilitate what the organization is doing around a number of health equity initiatives. But before we can effectively do that, it's extremely important that nursing staff, nursing leadership, that they have an understanding by what we mean by the determinants of health and health equity. So we use the World Health Organization when we define the social determinants of health, meaning that these are conditions in which people are born, grow, live, work and age. And so we all know that these circumstances are shaped by the distribution of money and power and resources at all levels, whether it be local, state, federal, or even a global level. And so what we've been doing here at Rush University Medical Center, as well as the College of Nursing, we've been making sure that our nurses have an understanding of what we mean by those, those variables, but also what is the relationship between the determinants of health, health outcome, and health equity. We have a health equity nursing council. This is a committee that uh, helps to support further awareness and engagement. We've just conducted a system-wide survey with about 750 plus nurses across all three settings to get a sense of their understanding of the determinants of health so that we could better uh, provide educational uh, resources for our staff nurses. 
that article has recently been published and has been featured in a number of uh, circles because this is the first time, um, one of the few studies, let me just say, that has really captured what we mean by social determinants of health and the nurse's role. Our nurses are also taking the lead in terms of screening patients for the determinants of health. They do this in concert with the other disciplines as well. So when they're charting in their documentation, they are assessing for a number of variables such as, uh, does someone have access to healthy nutritious foods? What about their housing situation? Are they able to pay for their utilities? These are the kinds of questions that are now embedded in our assessment tools, not only just for the nurses, but for caseworkers and social workers to assess, but also to make sure that our patients have the necessary linkages and resources to support their unmet social needs. And this year, we're gonna be taking a deeper dive in terms of looking at health literacy. We're very fortunate enough we, that we have a college of nursing. So we have lots of students who are working on their doctoral degrees. Mm -hmm. And one of our students, uh, Denise Sanchez, has just uh, completed a study looking at our uh, uh, assessment tools around health literacy. So health literacy, is a determinant of health. And we're gonna be taking a deeper dive in terms of how can we best assess our patients, but also what do we do with that information once we know that we need to provide uh, different kinds of educational uh, resources for our patients. And so I get the opportunity to sit on organization-wide um, committees. I write a lot about health equity and the determinants of health, but my primary role right now is to support our nurses and making sure that they have a good understanding, but that they are actively engaged in terms of carrying out the organizational overall goals of achieving health equity. Okay, thank you very much for that excellent answer, um, Dr. Phillips. That is some much needed work that you all are doing at Rush. Now next, Ms. Rogers, you are the CEO of Peer Plus Education and Training Advocates. Why is the work that you do so important to the community. And please give us an example of one of your most important initiatives. Thank you, uh, Dr. Roberson. Uh, and thank you for having me uh, to be a part of this. <clears throat> well, the importance of the work that Peer Plus is doing um, is that we, our goal is to meet the community and to meet the need. Uh, because we know with community needs can change at any given time. Yeah. Uh, so with that, as a group of volunteers, we must keep ourselves relevant with whatever health disparity is being focused on uh, at that particular time. But the one piece that Peer Plus looks at, we look at that whole person. Okay. Uh, we want, as I just heard uh, Dr. Phillips talk about, you know, uh, you know food deserts. Uh, access to uh, good health care. Some of the challenges that people that are in need of services is transportation um, and just a general support. Uh, even though our primary is around cancer, we don't stop there. We look at diabetes, we look at hypertension, we look at the needs of insurance, we look at the needs of housing and transportation and to be connected to a provider that will give them the time and the information that they feel that they need. A lot of times we feel with the population that we work with, uh, it keeps them from, they don't go because of fear 
of not being able to connect properly, uh, you know, with whatever the health disparity is. And they may get some information around a diagnosis or a concern. Uh, So that's where Peer Plus comes in. We are that resource support and services to the community uh, to make sure that they do understand what is available to them and to see why they are not going and to see what we could do to be that intercessor in between them and the provider. And as you know, our primary is cancer. And as a survivor uh, myself, as a matter of fact, next week I will be celebrating uh, 10 years of my colon, stage three colon cancer surgery. That's wonderful. Yeah, with 19 lymph nodes. So with the recent incident uh, with Mr. Chadwick, uh, uh, I, Chadwick Boston, I, I understand that directly because his diagnosis was the same as mine. Wow. And uh, I feel for that family. And I do understand how he pushed on mm-hmm. through everything, you know, to make things happen because he did not want to lose his independence. Yes. And he kept it private. Yes. And I do understand that because I was able to keep mine private within the confines of good friends and my family, which was a hard decision for us to do. Right. But we felt that that would work best for the family to keep the stress level down so I could go through and to heal properly. Yes. So for me, it's 10 years later and I'm and I'm doing well. Uh, but again, our, our primary our primary focus is to make sure that the community is linked Link. to okay. services. Okay. And it doesn't matter what that service is. I'm a hunter and a gatherer. So yes. if we can hunt down and get it back to that potential client or patient or that family member, then we figure that our job is done. Yes. Okay. Thank you so much for sharing. Mrs. Rogers, and that's some much needed work that Peer Plus is doing as well. Now, my next question is going to be directed to both guests, and we'll start with Dr. Phillips. Dr. Phillips, what role does culture and ethnicity play when working in healthcare and health planning? Thank you for that question. Well, culture and ethnicity play a tremendous role. You know, we talk a lot about cultural competency. I'd like to use the term culturally sensitive or culturally relevant, because when you use the word cultural competence, it tends to imply that you know all that there is to know about a particular culture. And in healthcare, when we deal with so many individuals from different walks of life and different cultural backgrounds, healthcare providers have to have a beginning appreciation of how behaviors and attitudes impact health-seeking behaviors, uh, how they might impact how they even interface with us as healthcare providers. And that's why it's so important that we have a diverse workforce. Because if you look at uh, studies, they will show that patients report feeling more comfortable when they see someone who looks just like them. And so understanding the role that culture plays, let me give you an example. Uh, Earlier in my career, when I did a lot of breast cancer research, particularly on the South side of Chicago, I, I conducted a study looking at some of the cultural beliefs and practices of African-American women Mm -hmm. and found that uh, they were very fearful of cancer. They had fatalistic perspectives around cancer, particularly breast cancer. 
And they were not really coming out and talking a lot about cancer. That's changed over time, but it was very important to understand some of their cultural beliefs because those cultural beliefs actually influenced whether or not they would even come to be screened for cancer. So you can't have a service without trying to understand where people are coming from. And ethnicity and racial ethnic identity is very important too, because we know that when we deal with communities of color, communities of color, particularly black and brown people are disproportionately impacted by a number, a number of chronic conditions. Yes. We still are lagging behind in terms of access to healthcare. Okay. We still are leading in terms of the numbers and the severity of a number of preventable uh, chronic conditions. We are exposed to a number of environmental toxins more so than other communities. And so understanding all of these variables is extremely important if we really are serious about ensuring that people have what they need, but also that we have healthier communities. Okay, thank you very much. And I just wanna add, and I'm gonna play devil's advocate a little bit here. I heard you mention the lack of access to healthcare. And I often say that a lot in a lot of papers that I write and in teaching as well. But do you really think it's a lack of access or is it more the fact that people aren't utilizing the resources that are available for them? I think that it's a lack of equitable access. And I also think that there's a lack of access to quality health care. Okay. And even though in our Chicagoland area, we are surrounded by a number of academic medical centers, mm-hmm. not everyone can go to an academic medical center. Uh, I actually know people that work within healthcare Mm -hmm. that have insurance, but can't afford some of the tests that their doctors are requesting of them. And so there's a maldistribution of of services. Uh, There's definitely a lack of access to quality care. You have people that are insured, but they are underinsured, even though they have some means to provide for their healthcare they still cannot afford the full menu of what they need to remain healthy. So we still have a lot of work to do. And even though, you know, we enacted the Affordable Care Act back in 2010, Mm -hmm. uh, if you look at the stats right now, the numbers of people that are uninsured, the numbers are actually increasing. You know, the cost is still too high. They may not have an adequate job that has healthcare insurance. Mm -hmm. Not every state has Medicaid expansion. There are a number of variables. And so I think it's, it's very complex, but also I think that when we say access to healthcare, you're right. We have to dig a little bit deeper by what we mean by that. Okay, thank you so much for that answer. And now, Ms. Rogers, when you are working in the community and planning community initiatives, how is culture and ethnicity highlighted in your advocacy? Well, that's first and foremost. Um, I'll give you an example. Uh, Peer Plus has a series of events that we host throughout the year. We look at Black history, we look at Minority Health, National Cancer Survivors Day, and those that are celebrated around the country. But in between projects that maybe come our way, we have to be very careful when we're working with those that we could provide the necessary uh, group that is going to fit 
to that population uh, that is requesting uh, the services. Uh, as you know, Peer Plus is a group of over 20 uh, volunteers. And at this time, everyone on that uh, group of volunteers we're all African-American with one person that is African-American that is full bilingual, <clears throat> excuse me, which has given us a little bit of a leverage to be able to go into different areas. But it's extremely important that when we are coordinating these events, it's listed, it's open to everyone. And based on the responses that we get, we want someone to come into that uh, health initiative and see someone that looks like them yes. and that they would feel comfortable speaking with. I mean, we don't want people to come in and don't see anyone that's, uh, you know, a brown person, whatever we call now, black or brown or Latinx, you know, to say, oh, this is a waste of my time. Okay. So that's the one thing that we've been able to do with our resources is to be able to pull. And what I've called is we have a rainbow. We have a rainbow of uh, community um, uh, advisors okay. and, uh, and organizations that work with us. So when you come to our events, our events are very diverse. Yes. So we have not had to experience that maybe as some groups have, okay. uh, but it has worked. We have been very well in doing that. And remember, we started back in the days of HIV. Okay. We had to make sure that everybody that walked in saw someone that looked like them that they could identify with and could unfold the story to them for their well-being. Okay. Thank you very much, Mrs. Rogers. Diversity is definitely very important. Absolutely. back from our break with my guest, Dr. Janice Phillips, Director of Nursing Research and Health Equity at Rush University Medical Center, and Mrs. Phyllis Rogers, Founder and President of Peer Plus Education and Training Advocates. Dr. Phillips and Mrs. Rogers, the World Health Organization defines health as a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being, and not merely the absence of disease or infirmity. We're going to start with you, Mrs. Rogers. What do you see as some of the most pressing issues impacting the health of residents of South Chicago and the Chicago Southland? Well, if we're looking at particular disparities now besides COVID, we're looking at uh, diabetes. Okay. We're looking at diabetes and hypertension, and one of the biggest health disparities is violence. Mm -hmm. We don't want to look at it as that, but it is. Uh, we, we look at that uh, along with, uh, you know, lack of resources. 
we can talk about lack of resources, uh, you know, for the entire hour and a half. Uh, but if the resources are there, we feel that our role is to make sure that people understand the resources and that they are worthy of them. A lot of people don't take up on it because they've already they've already taken themselves out of it without being able to go a, a foot further to see if it will work for them. Okay. Resources are, are there, but again, because we deal, we work with a community sometimes of people that they're dealing completely on fear, a okay. fear of lack of understanding, a fear that they're not gonna request anything properly, and a fear of embarrassment that they may have to go to someone and say, look, I'm living in a household where is I know my son or my daughter is, is selling, uh, you know, unsolicited drugs. Mm -hmm. uh, and that, so with our role, we want to make sure that we tell them it's okay. Let's, let's start it with you. And then let's trinkle it down because what we know is that down the line there, there is a resource there for the entire family, especially if it's around with the new buzzwords and everything around mental health. Okay. You know, so I, I'm really happy to know that we have a wonderful group of people that extend their services to us mm -hmm. to make sure that the community is aware. And even if it's just a phone call, to uh, break down some of that anxiety of getting prepared to even go and to seek out the resources. I mean, for as many events as I do, there's still those that say, well, I don't, I don't wanna come because I'm not gonna understand. But once they get there, once they get there and they feel that comfort, if you can look at anything that Pure Plus promotes, my tagline is aware with care. And we want to make sure that anyone that walks through that door, that they know first and foremost that we do care about you. And that's the reason that we are here. And if it's something that you feel that you're not understanding or that you feel like you've been, I would say, you know, feel like a, maybe a, a disrespect in some kind of way, mm -hmm. let's talk about it because everyone unfolds their information differently. And we want to make sure uh, with our Pure Plus team that we come with sensitivity to the community. Mm -hmm. It's not like we're begging and pleading, but we're working with a group of people that we're still educating to say that it's okay. It's okay not to be okay. Yes. But if you're okay enough to come in, let's help you to get that. Yes. Okay. Thank you for that. Yes, because empathy can definitely change the mindset. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, Dr. Phillips, do you have any other um, examples of some of the most pressing issues impacting the health of residents of South Chicago and the Chicago Southland? I'll just add uh, just a few more things, and I certainly support everything that Mrs. Rogers has stated. And again, we all know that uh, people of color in certain communities are disproportionately impacted by a number of illnesses, but I also think that when we talk about health, it really, really is essential that we start looking at issues such as unemployment, education, 
those types of variables that actually influence whether or not someone has the necessary knowledge to engage in health promoting activities. We know that studies have shown that individuals who are at uh, a higher level of educational attainment, they're more likely to understand some of the health information that they need to, to maintain healthier lives. Uh, individuals who are unemployed or underemployed may not have the necessary insurance coverage that they need to engage in health promoting activities or to seek out what they need. Uh, these are all issues that we have to look at, education, employment, those things that we consider to be the determinants of health are essential for us to, to look at as well because they actually determine or influence whether or not someone has the knowledge mm -hmm. or whether they have the access to the necessary resources. And so I'm really encouraged by some of the discussions that we've seen around our country regarding yes. health in all policies because mm -hmm. it's all intricately related. Yes. Okay, thank you. Now I have another question for you, Dr. Phillips. Dr. Phillips, from your perspective as a nurse, how should people advocate for themselves in order to make their health a priority? I think it depends on who you speak to and what communities you're working with. But I think one of the things that I have noticed is that particularly for women, they're so busy caring for everyone else that they don't always care for themselves in the proper manner. Sometimes they neglect their own health because they're busy caring for their family or they're busy caring for their children. But the, the notion that your health is your wealth, it really, really is true because you really can't do anything without your health. And so trying to create that kind of mindset, trying to make that a priority. Uh, and then also too, I think, when we have individuals who enter into the healthcare delivery system, it's absolutely critical that they know that they have rights. They should be able to speak up. They should be able to ask the questions that they need to have answered of their pro providers and not feel intimidated. I mean, there used to be a time when people would come in and, 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 and whatever the doctor says or whatever the nurse says, it's, it's fine. Uh, hopefully we're, we're becoming a much more educated consumer and we embrace those rights that we have as a patient or as a, as a uh, health-seeking uh, professional or community and begin to ask those necessary questions. And the other thing that I think is really important, it's almost as if, you know, we need to kind of help each other just to tab bit more. And I really like uh, Mrs. Rogers' group, you know, because they seem to be reaching out to individuals and helping people navigate healthcare, which is extremely complex at times. And so I think when we know more, we can help to educate each other. We can help to empower each other. If we know a resource or if we know something, we should be sharing it so that others can use it as well. But the bottom line is that we have to know that we do have rights and we have every opportunity to ask these questions that we need to ask. When we don't know, when we're not sure, we should feel comfortable. And we have to work on feeling comfortable uh, in terms of getting what we need. Yes, that's so important. And I can definitely attest to your statement about women having so many roles in their life that they tend to forget about themselves. And I think about even when you're on an airplane, when the airline stewardess, they tell you to put your mask on first before you tend to your kids or other family members, because if you don't take care of yourself, then you can't be good for anyone else. Absolutely. So thank you for that, Dr. Phillips. Absolutely. 
Um, Mrs. Rogers, as a community organizer, how can people advocate for themselves to make their health a priority? Well, I'm glad that you asked that because that was something uh, that uh, I'm really happy about that we do. Um, let me give you an example uh, uh, right now. Um, a few days ago, I was on the phone uh, with, a, with a woman uh, who had recently received a uh, cancer uh, diagnosis. And once she shared it with me, there were questions uh, that I brought up to her that she had thought about, but she didn't ask. So with her permission, we did a three-way call and we talked with the uh, oncologist with questions that I had, uh, uh, you know, she had written them down and gave permission for me to be on the line. I think once you give people, once they feel empowered, yes, that is okay to ask about themselves. Mm -hmm. And that's what we are all about. Because you know what? We're not going to always be there. Right. We're not going to be there to go to the doctor with you uh, with every time. And you know, that is something that we do. Yes, we will go to the provider with a, a client okay. so we can report that information back to the family. Because when a person is receiving news that is not of the, the great news, yes. they're not listening. You know, they, they tune out. They tune out. So we are a clear voice to be able to gather that information and be able to transfer that information back to that client with the provider and say, am I understanding you to say this? Yes. Am I understanding you to say it this way? And trust me, that client is listening. So then mm -hmm. we, want, we want them to know that it's okay because you must take you must take the charge of your health. That's why we're called Peer Plus Education and Training Advocates. Yes, yes. Okay. We teach people how to advocate uh, for themselves. And see, we haven't been taught that. Yes. We've been taught that, you know, whatever the providers say, you don't ask any questions, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. whether you can read the prescription yes. or not. You go and someone will tell you, this is what you take at one o'clock. This is what you take at two. Yes. But no one is telling you to write down what happens on day number three that you've taken that medication. Mm -hmm. So we're empowering you to take over for your own health and wellness and, and it's okay. And I can tell you the ones that we have worked with that do this. Uh, they can't thank us enough because they've never felt that they had that right. Mm -hmm. They've never felt that they had that right to question what a, a provider is saying. It's not that you're really questioning. You want to be engaged. You want to be a part of that team. Yes. You want to be a part of that healthcare team that's providing because regardless of what you're doing, you know your body better than anybody. Yes. You know your body. And so that's what we tell you to do. In tune yourself with your body. And after taking this medication after three days and you know that you're throwing up every day, then this medication may need to be adjusted. Yes. It may not be the one for you. Mm -hmm. So that's what we do, you know, to say, hey, it's okay 
to ask those questions and don't feel embarrassed. You know what? Because providers are, cha- are, are trained, mm-hmm. and if they're trained to work anyway with the community, we know we're not going to get all of those letters behind that person's name. Yes. That pro- and now I think the provider appreciates that that person is in tune with their own healthcare because it makes their job easier. Yes. Mm-hmm. That they can come in and say, okay. I took this this morning, but I started throwing up by four o'clock. Yes. And then I threw up yesterday morning at 2.30. Yes. You know, so it empowers them. And I, I think it uh, makes a, a better patient and a better relationship with everybody. Yes. And, okay. and, and to add to that, that is so uh, important because, you know, when you, when you go into the healthcare system, the providers are pretty busy. They don't yeah. have a lot of time. So yeah. even coming prepared with your questions, even if you have to write them down, yeah. I think that really is very helpful. And yeah. I can't say enough about being in tune with your own body because I remember when my minister many, many years ago uh, kept going to the doctor said he didn't feel quite right. And there's like, oh, oh, you know, we don't know what's, what's going on. And he just persevered and kept mm-hmm. going and, you know, kept insisting that, no, I, I know my body. And that was his, that was what he said. I know my body. And something's not right. Yes. And they found out that he actually had prostate cancer. Mm. Wow. But he was in tune with himself and he knew that something was, oh, was not quite right. And it okay. wasn't visible to the naked to the to the naked eye or anything like that, but he knew his body and he was able to advocate and get the necessary tests that he needed. Yeah. Absolutely. And I can and I can share with that uh, before I received my stage three 19 lymph node colon cancer. Uh, diagnosis. I knew something was wrong. Yes. I knew that I was too tired for what it was that I was doing. Mm-hmm. And there was no reason for me to sleep as much as I was. Why? Because my blood level was low. Mm-hmm. I was at a six. Mm-hmm. My blood level had dropped to a six. And I kept telling them that something was wrong. But the morning that I collapsed, and I, thank God I had an appointment that afternoon. And when I got to the doctor, he said, okay, let's, let's go a little further. And within a week's time, I had a colonoscopy and then the biopsy. And the result was I had colon cancer. Wow. Yeah. And I had been going back and forth to the doctor for probably a year or two. So I ended up being a stage three. Three, wow. A stage three. They would, oh, you're just tired because of the, you know, working in HIV. Oh, you're just tired. You're just, mm-hmm. I said, no, but this is, I, I know what tired is. Right. This doesn't feel like tired. This tired feels like you. something's wrong. Yes. Okay. But I didn't have the blood in the stool. I didn't have the other things that went along with it. So that's why nobody looked for it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Since the COVID-19 pandemic, the world has become a very different place to live. And many of the pre-existing disparities and racial injustices have been magnified. The Shriver Center on Poverty Law, a Chicago-based advocacy center, urges members of Congress to take whatever action is possible to protect all people, including those most vulnerable, to the connections of public health and economic consequences of this crisis. Dr. Phillips, during the pandemic, stimulus checks, 
enhanced unemployment insurance, the expansion of food stamps, and the aid to businesses if they kept their employees on payroll has saved millions from poverty. But now those benefits have expired and unemployment remains high. What changes in policies do you think will need to be developed to help our communities? Thank you, thank you. I think that when we look at the COVID pandemic, mm -hmm. it kind of reminds me of pulling back the covers, if you will, yeah. these issues of food insecurity, unemployment, uh, lack of health care insurance, poverty. These are, these are issues that have been with us literally for, for centuries, for decades. I'm, I'm very grateful that there's some discussion around these issues. I'm very grateful that there's a, seems to, seems to be a heightened level of sensitivity, particularly since the the pandemic, uh, particularly since the Black Lives Matter movement has gotten underway. Mm -hmm. But I think we have to really, really think about what are those things that continue to perpetuate poor health outcomes? What are those things that continue to perpetuate unemployment, high unemployment rates in our community? Yeah. And so I think for our lawmakers, our elected officials, I think in moving forward, I think policies definitely play a role. Yeah. But I also think that it cannot be business as usual. Mm -hmm. I think when the policymakers uh, get together and around their tables and when they're having their discussions and their deliberations, they're going to have to take a second look at how they are making decisions. And by that, I mean, there's a need for them to, to really seriously consider, are these equitable policies that might benefit all communities? Because yeah. just because you pass a piece of legislation, it doesn't mean that everybody will benefit. Right. Uh, for example, um, when we passed legislation around uh, flavored tobacco products, somehow in some states, we left out banning um, uh, mentholated products. But we also know that if you put that equity lens on, you will know that uh, Black Americans have a proclivity toward mentholated products. So you have passed a piece of legislation but not everybody benefits because there's a segment of the population who has been disproportionately impacted. And so I think, I definitely think that policy plays a role, but I also think that policy has to embrace more of that notion around, is this equitable? How does what we uh, enact, how does that continue to perpetuate racial and social injustices? And until you apply the equity lens, I don't know that that will be addressed effectively. Right. Yes, because one size definitely does not fit all. Thank you. The right, the right people at the table that are looking at these things from yeah. that particular perspective. And I certainly think that, you know, we talk about health in all policies. Mm -hmm. We really need to be saying equity in all policies. Yes. Okay, Mrs. Rogers, what are your experiences working as a community organizer and health advocate with the existing poverty levels of a community and how it has actually impacted your work and your ability to make healthier communities? Wow. It has been a large, large impact. Um, as you know, Pure Plus is a, a registered uh, 501c3. Mm -hmm. So our funding comes from um, 
other community groups that we are partnering with and uh, some pharma. And then the generosity of people that can, you know, give a donation to us. Mm-hmm. We have definitely, definitely seen, uh, you know, the big change uh, that funds are not readily uh, available. Uh, but the one thing that Zoom has done is we've still been able to re- to get the information out there by the projects that we've been um, hosting. Uh, but as you know, if things were different, we would be in the community bringing all this information definitely around COVID testing. And so when you think about, you know, our cancer survivors, COVID and mental health, all of that is, is right there together. And we're getting ready to, our program will be on that on the 16th. We really see uh, the impact. Why, number one, our, the biggest piece is because even though we've been around for 19 years, we're not still a part of the big group of people that funds readily come down to. So, okay. You know, so we were dependent on people like yourself and others that hear about grants and for us to be able to, to get the money over. I mean, you know, for the funding, you know, to keep what we're doing. But we have still been able to support those families yes. with resources. I mean, we've had, we have supported 10 families with bereavement. Okay. With with bereavement. Okay. We've supported families, um, you know, with medication. With with medication because people that were applying for something uh, with everything else that kind of went to the wayside. So they were not, it, when, when you make a phone call, they're telling you, you have to call back. You have to call mm-hmm. back. Yes. So when they're not calling back, they're phoning Pure Plus. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's going back, and I know I digressed a little bit. It's been very difficult, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for us. But for as difficult as it has been, it's still a learning process because we're still figuring out other ways to be able to provide what we can. Okay. Even just reaching out, you know, to be supportive to the programs that you're doing. Yes. And others are doing. We want to make sure that we're keeping people uh, you know, engaged as much as the, as the next person. So we have, we're facing those challenges right now. Yes. Right now. Thank you for that excellent answer, Mrs. Rogers. My next question is directed to both Dr. Phillips and Mrs. Rogers. What advice would you give to the community members who have concerns about their health and they may lack access to health care? What would you advise them to do? And we'll start with Dr. Phillips. Well, I will say that, you know, we talk a lot about uh, lack of access to quality health care, but there are some resources. And I think as healthcare providers and as a healthcare provider, one of my responsibilities is to link individuals to those services. And there are some things that I think communities don't necessarily know about mm-hmm. or may not necessarily take advantage of. Right. And so linking them to whatever is available is extremely important and encouraging them not to put off taking care of their health, because the more they delay, the more consequences uh, they may experience. And so I would also like to see a stronger, um, because you could say mobilization effort in our communities. You know, when you see um, some of the uh, police reform activities that are going on, we see people that are mobilizing 
very quickly around those issues. I would like to see a stronger mobilization uh, effort for the greater good as it relates to healthcare, because we keep talking about, you know, this lack of access. And it is true. We don't always have every community has exactly what they need. And we yeah. do need more resources in our community. And I think we need stronger advocacy uh, and stronger mobilization. And we definitely need to be spending some time talking to our elected officials. You know, yeah. we always think that you got to go to Capitol Hill or to Congress. I've been to Congress. It's mm -hmm. very important. But there's a lot of things that are going on here on the local level, whether it be the city level or the mm -hmm. state level. And we do have a platform, an opportunity to reach our elected officials. And we need to do that so they can know clearly what it is that we need and what we demand in terms of taking care of our health. Okay, thank you so much, Dr. Phillips. And Mrs. Rogers, what advice would you give the community members? Well, what we're talking about with that advice falls right into the mission of who Care Plus is and the work that we do. We're your support, your service, and your resource. And when those calls come through to us or what we post, if we have a way of following up, that's pretty much all that we can do uh, because the biggest piece is follow-up. Now, there may be excuses. There may be, I don't have any, any, any child care. I don't have any transportation. We will try and work through that. Uh, but in, in some ways, the resources are there. They just need to know how to access the resources and to follow through. And a lot of that comes through, people will talk themselves out of the resources sometimes. And let's just be real transparent. Okay. We know that it's there. Yes. Uh, I, I, what I would say since May, every corner in the city of Chicago, and we know at New Beginnings, there's been so much food distribution. Yes. There has been so much health care yes. and information awareness okay. that is there uh, for people to partake. Uh, there are some other things that may keep people from it, but we can only put it out there unless uh, we're not going door to door and hand, and having I'm sorry, and hand them, handing the, the, the baskets and everything that they need. We give it, but it's up to them to be able to follow through or to let us know if they need some additional help. Uh, I think right now this pandemic has given uh, a lot of people that, that soft heart of really wanting to do more. Mm -hmm. And I know we can see it. Yes. Uh, now, how long it's going to last, we don't know. We don't know. But I should encourage the communities of people that we are in touch with okay. and that we post our information out to. Please partake in it. It may take you a little time, but just go do it. You know, if you can get that flu shot or if you can get that, um, you know, that, that COVID uh, uh, testing, let's go do it. And while you're getting the COVID testing, yes, get that box of food yes. and take mm -hmm. it with. Mm -hmm. uh, the resources are, are there. They mm -hmm. just have to know how to get them mm -hmm. and to follow through. 
through. Okay. And Mrs. Rogers, I wanted to add or ask what ways have been most um, influential as far as Peer Plus promoting awareness about your organization and the things that you do for community residents? Well, um, then I'm going to throw it right back. We're talking about people like yourself. Mm-hmm. People like yourself that know what we do. Yes. Other people that find out what we're doing when we're in the community. Okay. You know, we don't put out a whole lot okay. uh, because we are a home-based business. Yes. But it hasn't stopped. We're hitting 19 years. Years. Oh, wow. 19 years of providing this service, you know, to the okay. community. And so they find us through word of mouth. Wow. Okay. Even though we have not had to put it out there. I'm mm-hmm. going to tell you, there are times that I'm on the phone from eight in the morning until five or six in the evening. I have to pull myself away, you know, to make sure that I take a break and that I, you know, eat a little something and keep going. Yeah. But it's because of people like you and things like this, what we're doing right now. Yes. You know, someone is listening. They're hearing my name. They're hearing Peer Plus Education and Training Advocates. I'm for sure toward the end, you'll probably give a phone number yes. and a website or an email. Yes, That's will. how we've been able to Words do it and to make it happen, yes. So okay. we consider that little bank, mm-hmm. uh, but we don't. <laughs> we're that little bank with, with the big resources and to make sure that the community gets it. Okay, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. We want to invite you to leave comments and ask questions about how to advocate for your health during COVID-19. Visit the GSU podcast website where you will find a link to send us an email as well as useful community resources for the visually impaired and hard of hearing and in English and Spanish. The website address is in the podcast description. I'm Dr. Tanya Roberson, and this is the Southland Health and Wellness Hour. And if you're just joining us, our guests today are Dr. Janice Phillips, Director of Nursing Research and Health Equity at Rush University Medical Center, and Mrs. Phyllis Rogers, founder and president of Peer Plus Education and Training Advocates. As the Director of Community Engagement in the College of Health and Human Services, my role is to meet people where they are, to help to address some of the needs of the community members in Southland Chicago, and connect them with community resources or programs. We developed a short survey entitled, We Want to Hear From You, which asks community members what they want to learn more about or need. Here's a statement from a survey we took in Harvey, Illinois on July 2nd, 2020. Our respondent is a 35-year-old African-American man who made the following statement. I have been back in Illinois for five years and it seems as nothing has changed. There are still many health issues, food insecurities, healthcare is poor, and many people are jobless. How can I get involved to help make a change? Dr. Phillips, we'll start with you. What are your thoughts about this statement and what would you say to this young man? Well, I I, I would say that um, now that we are in the election season, 
I would ask, actually encourage him to use his vote as a part of his power. Okay. And I concur that, you know, it seems like nothing much has changed in certain circles. Mm-hmm. But imagine not um, seizing the opportunity to exercise our right to vote. You know, it kind of reminds me of the work that, that John Lewis and others have done, or even community organizers on the local level. They've had to fight for a very long time, and they have not necessarily seen the kinds of changes that they've wanted to see over decades. But they still muster up enough strength to keep on fighting with the hope that things are changing. So again, now that we are looking uh, at this presidential election, I think that I would really encourage this young man to exercise his right to vote. When you don't do that, it's pretty much synergistic with a, a missed opportunity. It's a missed opportunity to try and move that, that needle for equitable change and reforms that we know we need. Mm-hmm. It's a missed opportunity to elect someone who might have our best interest at heart. And it's also a missed opportunity to honor those that have already kind of paved the way for us. And so I would say to him as a young African-American male, we're actually looking for his generation, his generation to stand up and and be leaders and advocates Mm -hmm. who can kind of motivate and inspire other people to take action. Uh, And I would also say to him, I'd I'd like for him to uh, never underestimate the power of of a single vote and I would say his. Yes. Okay. Thank you so much, Dr. Phillips. Now, Mrs. Rogers, what are your thoughts about this statement and what would you say to this young man? Well, I, I looked at this uh, uh, for a while uh, last night and he says he's back in Illinois, um, you know, after five years. I would like for him to get involved and to start to help them make the change. Okay. And as she said, the voting. But let's let's see what it is that he's talking about. Okay. You know, what area is he in uh, that is missing what it is that he's looking for? Okay. With the food deserts and with the lack of uh, you know health care. I guess was he in a, one of the far south suburbs? Yes, this was in yeah. Harvey. Okay. We- okay. Oh wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Then so we know what that is out there <laughs> in Harvey. You know. Uh, you, you know. What's happening out there? You know, are you able to go to those meetings and stand up and fight and say, we know we need this. Now, we all know Harvey. We know that Harvey is like a, um, it's, it's sad, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking in some of the areas that is out there. But I would like for him to be able to, I would have told him had I been there, I would have given him my card and say, hey, join Peer Plus. Okay. And that's then the services that Peer Plus is doing out to Harvey. Yes. And that way you could be able to, um, you know, to, to challenge that and be in control of that. And let's start to bring some of those resources there because it's all about conversation mm-hmm. and education and engagement. All right. Thank you very much, Mrs. Rogers. Now, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, advocating for your health goes hand in hand with making healthy choices and maintaining healthy lifestyles. Where might people get more information on how to do this when faced with the impacts of COVID-19 in our communities? Dr. Phillips, what would you suggest as the best places to obtain health information from for our community members? 
you know, in this electronic age, everybody's surfing the internet. Everybody's on the internet looking for information. But I would like to caution people from surfing the internet. It's really important that when looking for credible information, that we get good information, information that we know uh, has been vetted, that is based on science or research, but credible information. And the National Library of Medicine is one uh, source that I go to quite a lot. Um, I've been referring a lot of uh, my uh, community members to that particular website because it does have a large menu of reliable health information. There's information on um, how do you interpret your medical test? Uh, how do you look at your lab results? What about clinical trials? What about uh, issues like COVID-19? And this information on the National Library of Medicine's website is in both English and Spanish. And so that's one site. I also know that our medical centers and our hospitals, they usually have a repository of health information on their websites as well. Again, you want to go to places that will give you accurate, yes. up-to-date information on healthcare issues. And then just recently, recently as I believe this week or so, uh, Johnson & Johnson launched their My Health Can't Wait campaign. Mm -hmm. And this is a, a, a campaign that's encouraging individuals to prioritize their health and to reach out to their healthcare providers, even in the midst of COVID. You know, some individuals have put off going to see their providers because they are afraid of COVID yes. uh, or contracting the virus when they go into the healthcare system. But healthcare systems are prepared, and we don't want people to hold off. Uh, with symptoms or with problems because of the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. So this is another resource. It's called My Health Can't Wait. It just helps people to navigate their next visit, or it might be a virtual visit. A lot of uh, providers are now seeing their patients online, and they don't have to come in. But yes. for those that do, and even if you don't come in, you still have to be prepared to ask your questions and to get what it is that you need. So I would say uh, credible sources of information, the National Library of Medicine, healthcare facilities. We know that the Center for Disease Control and Prevention is another credible source for, for timely information. And then the Johnson Johnson campaign that just launched, My Health Can't Wait, are also uh, good resources to help individuals prioritize their health. Okay, thank you for sharing, Dr. Phillips. And, then, the, and let me ask you, let me just, let me just say another thing. Yes. Ask a nurse. As nurses have a wealth of information <laughs> and there are nurses in every community just about yes, so so use us okay thank you mrs rogers what are your last words or comments that you want to leave with the community thank you um and first of all i would like to say that i do agree with uh dr uh, phillips about uh, those uh, basic resources. Uh, the one thing that we know is that everybody is somewhere on social media. Mm -hmm. uh, and you would have to be the one to just discern which information is going to be the best for you. So let's just say anyone that's going to CVS or Walgreens or to their, um, you know, whatever the pharmacy is within their communities. Most of these places now have some basic information that's at the counter, you know, that you can pick up and to be able to get. 
uh, to receive some information. And I also agree with her that when you are going into the doctor, um, you know, if it, in, in those waiting areas, most people now, most of those areas now have as much information that is up to date and relevant, you know, to what's going on. And I would say culturally, we just start, we need to share the information more. You know, because we come from we come from families of secrets. Yes. From families of secrets and embarrassment. Yes. And I think the more we share, and if you give it to that person, and then they can start to look at it, because there's a lot of quacks out there. Let's be clear. Yes. There's a lot of quacks out there, but find out which one. Uh, as, as she said, you know, like the uh, National Library of Medicine or, you know, the Center for Disease Control or FDA or for us here in Illinois, you know, Illinois uh, Department of Public Health or the uh, Chicago Department of Public Health. But how many people know that? Yes. You know, to go there and to put in and search. And again, that's why an uh, uh, agency like Pure Plus is so important because we help to navigate them directly to that information and to make sure that they understand it. Yes. And even though it may be a small community clinic, just go and ask because if you haven't asked, we don't know what the end result could be. Yes. You know, to start to fill up those racks with information, you know, around COVID and how COVID and diabetes and COVID diabetes and hypertension and definitely around mental health. That's what I would suggest. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I want to thank both Dr. Janice Phillips and Mrs. Phyllis Rogers. This concludes our podcast, Your Health why it is a number one priority. How can you be an advocate of your own health? Thanks for listening to our fourth episode of Southland Health and Wellness Hour. I want to thank Dr. Janice Phillips from Rush University and Mrs. Phyllis Rogers from Peer Plus Education and Training Advocates. We will be back in two weeks to discuss what does COVID-19 have to do with it? how to change programs and policies to make them work for you. Listeners, remember, we want to hear from you. If you have been influenced by our podcast, please go to our website and send us an email. The link is available in the podcast description. This podcast is sponsored by the College of Arts and Sciences in partnership with the College of Health and Human Services at Governor State University. The show was produced by Tanya Roberson and Deborah James. Coordinating producer, Rhonda Jackson. Senior consulting journalist, Randa Wiseman. Music by Charles Dumaser, professionally known as C-Sick. Special thanks to Digital Learning and Media Design for sponsoring the following production expertise. Director, John Tellus. Student producer and editor, Zamar Tompkins. Engineer, Heather Penn. 
Graphics, Amanda Martinez. <laughs>